Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. So, uh, as often I'm like just speaking freely and huh? just uh, reflecting on the practice unfolding for me and the people, I, the other practitioners I talk with. So, um, and whatever I, he- I hear, like uh, Philip mentioning the Philip Muffet mentioning the in- unsubstantiality of the reality and how suddenly, whoops, it's interesting for me to notice this and uh, and. Maybe just to say that uh, we say that uh, this is vipassana, this this kind of meditation we're doing here, insight meditation. This is one of the deepest insight. We say when you're able to tune in the ephemeral, in, insubstantial nature of reality, dreamlike nature of reality. We're not in a dream, and I'm not also trying to explain the nature of reality from the outside. I'm trying to talk about it from the the point of view of a human being. You know, I, 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 I'm not saying that this is a dream. I'm saying that from this perspective of a human being, things do disappear all the time. <laughs> you know, the toast you were eating disappears. <laughs> you know, the sight you see, whoops, they disappear. The things are disappearing all the time. That's from the point of view of the human experience. Buddhism is interested not in the actual nature of reality. The Buddha was saying, like, what I care about is the experience that we have from here. It's from this point of view we have the experience. Maybe science could be saying something else really good, but we're, we're experiencing life from the human perspective, you know. And so from the human perspective, things do appear and disappear, you know. Impressions in the mind, thoughts come and they go, you know. And they can be really strong for a second. Like, oh my God, did I, you know, uh, turn off the stove before I leave? You know, so it's a, it was not there just a second before. The second before, I was like kind of floating in, in some fantasy. <laughs> then suddenly, oh, my reality, whoops, totally changes for a few seconds. And then I'm, I calm down. No, I'm fine. I probably did. I always do it. And then, whoops, reality takes a different kind of felt sense or color to it. It's, uh, so tuning in how fluid, changing, ephemeral, insubstantial our experiences, uh, it says it can be very, very liberating. It liberates the mind. You can imagine if somebody understands really well the dreamlike nature. These are words from the Buddha. Dreamlike says... Uh, Oh, life, this life, yeah, there's a series of images he uses. He says, this life, like a bolt in the summer sky, like a thunderbolt or some, something like uh, That's really quick. Huh? We, can, I, we can have that sense, like with our whole life, you know. We've been here for decades. Where is that? Where are all these decades? Inaccessible. There's this moment that will be gone in a few seconds. It's amazing, no? That you've one has lived decades, but you don't have access to it. It's it's not palpable. It's not there. Gone. This life, uh, phantom, uh, uh, 
yeah, bolt in the sky, in the summer sky, a star at dawn. A star, you see a star and then, whoops, the sun makes it completely vanish. It's not... Our life is like this. Where is it? It's gone. Where is your childhood? Where is your last summer? Where is this morning? Gone. And so we can get out of our list of things to do and tune in a little bit on that level. Be touched. If we're deeply touched by this, it's going to be really hard to hold on to things. Knowing deeply, imagine knowing really deeply that things are dreamlike. Then the tendency to hold would wouldn't make sense anymore. You know, I know, of course, of course. And at the same time, it would be deeply touching, poignant. Yeah. Wow. Look at that. What I think of my life, you know, is nowhere to be found. There's just this interaction now, and later another one walking on the street. You know, another sets of impressions. That's very humbling, isn't it? I find it humbling. I have this big Pascal project and Pascal stories and it's nowhere to be found. <laughs> I, I have to keep repeating it and tell people about it. <laughs> you know, do you know that I am just arriving from California? I want you to know because it's gone. <laughs> it's not there anymore. And uh, So we're invited to come closer to this. It's a little edgy. It can be. So this is one of the aspects of reality that one can uh, become interested in. Uh, Tune in. Refine the attention so it's not so much about the usual habitual things, but just underneath, you know, another level of attention, you know. And it says that um, it would release any holding that we have when it's known deeply, but also open the heart so the heart could love, freely, care. It's the direct access to compassion. (coughs) Oh, wow, we're all in this together. It's all evanescent or ephemeral, like a waterfall, always for all of us. Wow. Then you, the tendency to judge or to demand or to be harsh or rigid, kind of like it's not so much possible anymore. You know? And still one can keep their boundaries very clear, you know, have a discernment about what is okay and what is not. You know? But with a kind of a caring heart. So maybe just another aspect that I want to talk a little bit about. This is also like kind of the luggage, the baggage that I'm bringing back from my uh, this little trip. Do you know that I was? On the <laughs> <laughs> That's the creating of a self. <laughs> I want you to perceive me as somebody who's arriving from somewhere important. <laughs> Um, so uh, the, the, what I had the chance to participate in was this uh, a, a training for yoga teachers who are 
learning how to bring mindfulness and maybe the Dharma in their in their own practice and in their uh, classrooms. And um, so there was many ways that we were exploring this. I was I was learning a lot more than I was actually uh, teaching. Really, it was in in the balance it was uncomparable the amount of learning that I was able to do with the colleagues the other teachers but the students also very very much so and um, there was just one little um, I think it it helps me uh, bring this idea I was having a conversation with um, one of the yoga teachers I don't know how long they've been teaching, but they were saying, I, uh, I'm not feeling that great these days. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in my life that is not uh, struggling, you know. And so, and I have to teach these classes, and I have to be up, you know. I have to give good energy, you know, to people. And so what should I do with this, you know? And... Um, and and uh, the conversation we were having at, with this person in, in the larger group was like uh, something about the creating of a space of compassion in how in a classroom. And I think my sense is, w- if you come to practice here, that's probably what you have access to. You know, uh, you don't probably don't get Joannes that are like, "Hello, hi, let's," uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, and I was saying like oh so how do you think it would be possible to be uh, to bring the fullness of who you are not that you would tell your story to everyone you know and start crying about it and stuff but uh, be real be authentic you know and, and what would it create for people if you w- were allowing yourself to be who you are as you come in you know tender fragile what if you there was a capacity to invite this in maybe it would create a beautiful space for others to come and they would not feel that they're coming to a class of the yoga and they have to be together and you know perform and be like this and so there was this kind of transformation happening this uh, change of view like the possibility of creating a space and so I'm saying this here just because after it made me think like it came back to to me and like, oh, Pascal, what what are the spaces you create in your life, in your family, and uh, you know, in the different spaces you find yourself? You know, you have the capacity. We have the capacity to create, maybe to create spaces or to certainly contribute to the quality of the space. You know, and so. Um, my thoughts are around um, mindfulness. You know, we uh, there's a lot in the meditation world. You there's a lot of you sit and you become aware of the life in it, and you create an inner space where life is okay as it is. You know, troubled or bright, open. Uh, you know, or this beautiful dark benevolence that can be there sometimes when the eyes are closed, very velvety. You know, all the different fields of human experience are welcome in that space you know. and uh, the Buddha in his, in his teaching seemed to have been saying all the time notice what's happening inwardly, outwardly internally, externally and so I was thinking oh, this, how this mindfulness this being attentive to what's happening an attention that is non-judgmental curious, 
creating space for what is there to be known and revealed, how we can bring this in the world, in our families, in our workplace, you know, that we can uh, uh, not only tune in in this way, but tune in in this way. Who's here? You know? If you're having a conversation with two other people, are you really seeing them? Or are you seeing maybe just one of them? There is a group of people. Who are you missing? Who are you not seeing? Who's not included in your family reunion? How are you gently dismissing one person? You know? Who's invisible for you? You know. And could you stretch your awareness and your field of uh, welcoming? You know, to invite even that person or that group of being or that. Uh, And uh, and so it's a, uh, how am I thinking about this? I'm thinking more and more that I don't want to only liberate this little field here and that is inside that skin bag here. You know, I don't. I'm not, I'm not as interested in freeing that only that. You know, like I'm free. You guys take care of yourselves. Like I, I want to. Um, offer freedom, offer uh, a sense of absence of fear or protection to others also. I can do this with uh, my attention, my the qualities I bring to wherever I go, you know, to actually, uh, I don't know if I'm talking about this well, but I, f I feel strongly about it, so I'm going to try to find the words, but uh, yeah. So sometimes, like things that I'll do is when I uh, when I teach, I'll try to see like who am I not seeing in the crowd? Because naturally, it's only natural that there will people I will not notice that neutral for me. You know? And for many of us, uh, some of these people are the same. You know, and for some of us, they're different. It varies. You know, and. Uh, So I'll give you um, two little examples. During this uh, last retreat that I was doing, at some point there was a meeting of five of us, and there was a charge, kind of charge situation. Everybody was holding it really well. And there was one of the uh, person who was there was a, one of the senior teachers. And, uh, and during the maybe half hour of the meeting, that the meeting lasted, uh, Everybody was kind of relating to that person. Everything was said to that person. <coughs> and and uh, I'd have, uh, I had a feeling of being invisible. You know, I was like, wow, I, I would have things to share, but I didn't feel like I could because I was not kind of visually included. Uh, and it was an interesting situation because being a white male extroverted... Usually I get plenty of attention. <laughs> I organized my life, as you can see right now, <laughs> around that. <laughs> But in that situation, I, was, uh, I felt invisible, and I was like, oh, Pascal, tune in. Because some people are, have this experience a lot. You know, they're not given the, the, their, the fullness of their being, is not welcomed uh, so much by... And so I was really tuning in that, of that, that experience. And it, was, it was troubling. And it was good that it was troubling for me. It was good because I needed some insight into this. You know? 
And uh, yeah. and a few months before, actually, I remember being in another conversation where there was three of us having a conversation. And at the end of the conversation, there was a woman there who was a feminist and very uh, outspoken. I, l- I, I always learned a lot from her. And at the end of the conversation, she said, uh, Pascal, did you notice in the kind of 20 minutes of the conversation where you, who you were looking at? I was like, I was looking at us, you know, we were talking together. It's like, no, you were pretty much talking to the authority figure who happened to be a a male. (laughs) So I just want you to be aware of this. And I was like, (laughs) and then I actually reflected. I was like, actually, it's true. It's true that I was not uh, uh, giving as much attention to that person, you know. Because who I want to be seen by the figure of authority. I want to be in relationship with power, you know. And so, you know, and so the mindfulness for me is that, oh, I can bring, I can bring my attention there. You know, not just to my breath or to my te- you know, toes, or, but also to the unconscious uh, behavior that I have, you know, that actually uh, perpetuate uh, you know, oppression and uh, invisibility. And so, oh, wow, you know, a whole field of, like, where there is liberation, where there is uh, wisdom, where there can be uh, very powerful in terms of uh, happiness, not just mine, but the, the, the happiness of, of uh, the freedom of somebody uh, so they can totally exist. Uh, and so how do we uh, do this? And so this practice of being attentive to what's happening internally and externally externally can be really alive. We can make it a practice. See, as you walk in the street, who do you see? Who do you not see? Uh, and just, no, no, it's not a thing of guilt or shame or anything. It's a, it's a thing of waking up, of being aware of the power we have. Am I touching something? Is there something in there, you know, in the family, in the, in any system you find yourself in, you know? Uh, and I, I'm talking about this very humbly, like it's, it's just a field that I find uh, has a lot of potential in terms of, uh, yeah, offering freedom, offering, uh, uh, sharing power, uh, something like this. There's a particular thing. I don't know if... I think I want to touch on, on this because it's, uh, it's something you m- you might not have heard of. I, I hadn't until really recently. I knew about it uh, from experience, but there was no concept on it uh, being given yet. And now that there's a concept for it for me since just a few weeks, suddenly like I can actually tune in on that level. Um... There's a the, this thing I've just learned. I'm learning about is um, a particular f- uh, area of um, inclusion and oppression. And, uh, it's called white fragility. I don't know if you've heard about this white fragility. And I'm just coming back from the states where there's a lot going on. And Baltimore is happening right now, and uh, and uh, 
but I think is very relevant, very, very relevant here too in Canada, in Quebec, in Montreal. And so the, the, how it, they explain white fragility uh, is uh, when there is the subject of um, racism being brought up, of privilege or oppression, there's a, there's a phenomena that happened in many of the white people. So if you maybe uh, self-identify as uh, white or think of uh, yourself like this Caucasian, maybe you might uh, recognize something like this. Um, in the practice of mindfulness, we want, as I think you understand, we want to uh, be able to be in the middle of life with uh, interest, stability, and uh, really discovering what is happening and how can I help. So if it's in word, and I'm like having a wave of impatience, in my practice I want to wake up to what is impatience and have um, the capacity to hold a difficult situation like grief, discouragement, impatient in the way that I'm not uh, taken by it you know that I can actually stay stable uh, keep my values of respect and kind of contribute like this so when a situation that brings up um, privilege or it's named in conversation often for white uh, folks like me certainly there's a it becomes really difficult. There's a shutting down that can happen. It's scary conversation. There's a shame that can come, or a confusion. I don't understand. We're all equal, uh, you know. And there's a kind of like whoom, uh, making everything equal. Everybody's one. We all have equal chance. You know that suddenly the history of oppression disappears. <laughs> you know, and uh, and and uh, people can become aggressive. Want to uh, end the conversation, run away, uh, feel extreme guilt, so that the conversation cannot happen anymore, you know. And uh, all these, uh, I'm naming this because I want us, uh, all of us, to be aware of it. So white, non-white, like oh, there's this phenomenon ap- happening, especially for white people, to be really aware of this and bring the mindfulness in that field. And notice, oh, like it's talking about, you know, uh, First Nations right now and what's happening. And I'm f- like suddenly I feel my guilt coming in or confusion. Let me stay present. Let me stay here. Let me be there. Let me not shy away, not close down. S- let me see if I can actually stay awake and feel what I feel and move through. Anyway, maybe I'm talking about my personal practice here because I've seen this happen and I see this in my colleagues and in the students and uh, in the society in general. There's a, there can be a lot of discomfort and I think it can be actually really good if we can uh, have some of these conversations. It could be very healing for many of us and it could help us maybe create a society that is uh, more just um, am I touching on something? Is that? Uh, do you? You might feel some. Some of you, if you think of yourself, if you self-identify as white, you might 
Some of us might be feeling exactly that right now. Like, oh my God, I don't want to talk about this. This is really uncomfortable. What is he talking about? Maybe, so, maybe there's some of this that is uh, happening. I'm going on an edge here because I, I think it's worth it. So I'm, I'm taking a risk. But I think it's really worth it. And so in this uh, create, in my mind I'm still talking about the creating compassionate space, you know, creating a space where everyone is welcome, people are seen, you know. And the diversity uh, can be around uh, culture and skin color. It can be around language in this society here. There's a lot of that in this uh, community, you know, in this province. So we can be really aware of this. It can be about um, religious affiliation. It can be about age, body size, uh, even uh, maybe uh, cognitive diversity. You know, some people are uh, their mind are linear; other extremely arborescent. Some uh, some are dealing with uh, depression trauma, you know, the capacity to feel safe in a space, to hear, to contribute, or to understand what's happening varies a lot. And so in your family, there's probably some of that going on. How is your cognitive diversity inclusion going these days? You know? How can you let your sister-in-law be stressed as she is all the time? You know, <laughs> or, you know, In my family, we're a lot of us are extroverts. And we have one member of our family who's introvert, and it's been difficult for this person to be welcomed in, you know, because a lot of expectation have been put on this person to be like us, you know, and this very violent to impose on somebody to be a certain way, you know. And so I think that we can bring the beautiful skill that we develop here. These are related. You sit here. We sit here to actually uh, develop listening skills, capacity to know what is happening in the inner field. But this is what we want to bring to the outer field, you know, to our communities. And uh, recognize the kind of uh, universality of human nature and also maybe the play of privilege and power that is at play, because it is, you know. So it's, uh, it's a responsibility we all have. And, and my sense also is that some of you are doing this work so much, you know, so, uh, already. So I'm bringing this again very humbly here. There's a movie that I, I plan to go see on Friday. It's called L'Empreinte. So if you happen to speak French, that might be something you could be interested in. So, and I spoke to many people who have seen it. It's a documentary on how, uh, how the culture of the First Nations have um, really contributed in creating this society. And everybody I talked to went to see the movie. They all come out and they say, Oh my God, this is so 
deeply moving, we owe so much to uh, uh, First Nations and their wisdom, you know, and how it it makes the society we live in what it is, you know. And so I, I, the sense I get is like, oh, that's that's it can be a really good step here to because there's been so much. Uh, I mean, we could talk maybe about genocide here, you know, how to kill culture, language. Uh, Land, destroy land, uh, break families, you know. and so, uh, so some of you might know this really well internally, and you know, in depth, you know, in breath, you know. But many of us also are need to do our work there, bring our mindfulness there, bring, go in that field, you know, enter that uh, that field of looking at who we are together. Is it okay that I talk about this? Okay. So, um, there's a teacher, Christopher Titmus. I was reading an article from him the other day and I I thought it was so interesting the way he was presenting this. He was talking uh, a bit the way I would present it is, is talking about um, um, maturity of spiritual practice and um, sorry my son did six month meditations so oh yeah okay so Christopher uh, hold on how would I say that in, uh, the oh yeah the kindergarten of mm-hmm. spiritual practice and the maturity of spiritual practice and he was saying uh, so I'm just presenting the, the way I understood how he was talking about things with, which interested me a lot. He was saying, you know, some of these big gurus and, uh, who, you know, have books that sold bestsellers and, you know, people pay a lot of money to go listen to their uh, words of wisdom and uh, saying they might, some of them might be actually, although it's like really beautiful and deep, it might actually be the kinder, the really basic of spiritual practice. Because when you see these people that tend to um, stay very close to the power, you know, they meet with powerful people, they teach to powerful people, they charge a lot of money, so it's really, really like not across the board there. You know? It's like they cater to a certain clientele, you know. And, uh, and so... And their ideas are seems very liberating, but uh, it was. I think he was saying, for me, maturity of practice is um, is a practice that uh, maybe there's a, some ascent that is happening, but there's a descent. There's a coming back to the market. There's a there's a, non, a deep understanding that my happiness is related to everyone's happiness. You know, the interrelatedness that I can't you know, feel totally free and safe by buying a little island somewhere, <laughs> you know, for when things are going to go bad, you know, that, that it's not going to be satisfying, it's not going to feel uh, that offering protection, offering freedom, offering uh, um, freedom from fear, one, and that's the words of the Buddha, uh, one gains uh, in freedom, in f- uh, freedom from fear and protection. Offering protection, one gains protection. 
you know. And uh, I know that in the Tibetan practice, for example, there's the Bodhisattva vow. Maybe some of you know this really well. This is not my lineage, but I know a little bit of it. It says, it's a kind of a paradox there. It says, uh, sometimes I hear the practitioners of this lineage say, if you want to go really fast on the, on the spiritual path, take the Bodhisattva vow. This is the highway of spiritual practice. And what is the Bodhisattva vow? It is a vow that I'm not going to awake, I'm not going to free, m- completely free my heart until everybody's heart is freed. So it's a kind of saying, I, taking on uh, the whole, all beings, you know, all beings including oneself, you know. Some, some of us take care of all beings, but we forget ourselves, you know. But all beings include oneself, but everybody else. I think I read an article where, if I remember well, Laurie Anderson, some of you will know who Laurie Anderson is, the musician. Uh, and uh, she was saying she was in New York and maybe ran into some uh, Buddhist monks and started chatting with them. And uh, she invited them for coffee in a coffee shop and they sat and they talked to her about the Bodhisattva vow and they asked her if she wanted to take it and she took it. And she said that night she was in bed, you know, and she was like, oh my God, <laughs> what did I do? I vowed to only free my mind when er- all beings' mind would be freed, you know, like, that's a t- tall order, isn't it? <laughs> but the beauty of it, as I think she was explaining, is the beauty of it is that it's impossible, so you can't be attached to the fruit. Then you can actually let go and totally uh, live with that intention but not checking in if it's working or not, but, you know, giving, opening. And, you know, a lot of what we do in the spiritual practice is letting go of the holding to uh, ego, you know, me, me. And by thinking of others, generosity being one of the forms, you know, but also the generos- uh, generosity of time, but generosity of spirit, generosity of uh, inclusion, including... Uh, others, you know, um, letting go of judgments uh, is a way to free one's own heart and mind. So maybe some some stuff in there, no? some a little juice here to keep <laughs> us going this week and maybe for the rest of our lives. <laughs> I hope the way I talked about this was not harmful in any ways. That's certainly not my intention. Uh, Excuse me? Yeah. Um, You just said the letting go of judgment and what came to my mind was recognizing judgment. Yeah. And you started off by talking about how that woman had told you you were uh, uh, paying attention to the male figure and that's the only example you used something you could work on, but so I think that's, for me, the hard part is recognizing. But when we notice our weaknesses, yeah, I mean, recognize that they exist, but where are they? What are they? Yeah. Where are they at? It's so deep after a certain... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, beautiful. This is the, so this is the practice to wake up, you know, widen the field of consciousness. Just not just be conscious that I'm so generous and kind. <laughs> but sometimes, oh, I'm not so kind. I'm not so generous. I'm not so, you know, being 
able to let go of a fixed image of who I am, you know, and discovering the behavior, discovering the thoughts, the patterns of mind. And it's not easy to do. And often we do this in community. Somebody give us, gives us feedback. And our job is maybe to be humble and say like, oh, let me check in. Let me uh, catch this in real time next Part time. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes uh, often the feedback we don't get or we get it in a violent, aggressive mm-hmm. way. You know, So it's hard to... But that's something we can do together maybe. Metro meta. Yeah. I think I see what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you go on the metro, you, you look around and you see someone that you would normally just look away from, or you know maybe you wouldn't, but you know, there are some people that we kind of screen out. And to look at that person and send them loving kindness. They don't know you're doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's amazing the things that people begin to see when they're doing this practice. Um, and, and hopefully, somehow it does give them a better day or some better understanding. But, uh, I mean, you always have to be very careful that you're not caught seeing somebody. But um, yeah. otherwise, it's, it's good. So it's good for oneself. It's probably good. It's a fluid between people, you know. Make, makes interactions after also more uh, smooth. And this is a city to do this. Great. Thank you. Okay, so shall we sit just a little bit and let these uh, words dissolve some? Always the same practice of allowing what is there to be fully known. It might be on a physical level, sense, uh, sensory awareness, just allowing the tingling, the movements of the breath, or allowing the tiredness, the sadness, or the joy be there, whatever it is. 
you want to, you could take a moment to think of who you want to dedicate this class to. Something you could do. Let my practice be for the benefit of such person, people. Again, just tuning in, letting something happening now be fully known. The beautiful sustained presence, generous attention. May our practice bring uh, great clarity to our minds and hearts so that uh, we can uh, be able to contribute uh, to our communities and help make them uh, spaces of uh, compassion and inclusion so that everybody can be seen, protected and and grow in happiness. May we do this together.
Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.